it won't be so much fun for people to try and uh, give feedback because they would feel that you already made your mind. You already know what you wanted to build and they don't, they aren't going to really change um, what you're going to build. But when you say, hey, this is just the beginning, this is barely working, we just want the feedback to the, to understand what to build better, then they, they can say, oh, I, I can really have effect on this project. I can really shift it towards my needs. They provide tons of use cases and experiences that uh, we can build on top. So basically, the idea was to trigger that, and, and, and we did it successfully. My name is Aviram Hassan. I am CEO and co-founder at Medalware, where we build MirrorD. This is Code Story, a podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries. Six months moonlighting. There's nothing on the backhand. Who share what it takes to change an industry. I don't exactly know what to do next. many goes to get right. Who built the teams that have their back. Our company is its people. The teams help each other achieve. Most proud of her team. Keeping scalability top of mind. All that infrastructure was a Yes, we've been fighting it as we grow. Total waste of time. The stories you don't read in the headlines. It's not an easy thing to achieve, Mike. Took it off the shelf and dusted it off and tried it again. To ride the ups and downs of the startup life. You need to really it's want it. Not just about technology. All this and more on Code Story. I'm your host, Noah Lapart. And today, how Aviram Hassan created a company that created a product to make cloud development local and faster. This episode is supported by Terso. Terso is the open source edge database from the creators of LibSQL. Do you put your edge computing close to your users? You should put your data there too. Terso makes this easy utilizing the developer experience of SQLite. Access a free starter plan at terso.tech codestory. Terso, welcome to the data edge. This episode is brought to you by our friends at MemberStack. MemberStack is the fastest way for you to launch a beautiful Webflow MVP with robust authentication and smooth payments integration. Join companies like Slack and American Airlines in serving millions of members every single day. Get started for free by visiting memberstack.com slash codestory. Aviram Hassan started hacking his way into stuff at a young age, primarily from online multiplayer games. The first game was a fan-based game for Pokemon when he was eight years old, which was helpful for him to learn English. He served in the Israeli military prior to becoming a startup solution architect and back-end developer. Outside of tech, he's a family man with a six-month-old, born around the same time as a startup. He also really enjoys coffee, but he admits he's not obsessive or overly enthusiastic about it. Given their background, Avram and his co-founder wanted to build a product-based company. In their last company, they didn't really have a developer environment, as it was hard to maintain and didn't represent real data in the production environment. They started thinking about how they could solve this sort of problem. This is the creation story of Metal Bear and Mirror D. Me and Ea, we both wanted to build a product that people use. Like uh, we both came from uh, more experience in the backend area and also in companies that sell uh, more more so services and not really product oriented. We wanted to do something that people use, and we knew that we are not going to do very well in C world because that wouldn't really leverage our background. 
So we started thinking about what we could do that can be a product company and also speak to our strengths. So one of the challenges we had at our last company and we faced together was actually, we had, we had a long iteration time between when you change one line of code until you actually saw how it affected the whole system. So uh, imagine you get a small ticket, just change an effect in one uh, UI, but the event for the UI gets from one microservice, goes to another, and then it gets processed yeah, from Kafka, and then it is pulled into a database, and then you have another backend and a frontend serving that database. You need tons of microservices and tons of different data to see how it behaves in the real world. And in our last company, we didn't really have any developer environments because it was hard to maintain and really have a developer environment that meant anything. Like you could set up the stack quite easily, but then to bring real data would be real real problem because with many different customers with many different features and we just wanted to see effect that the effect on let's say the average environment what happened is that the time you got to see how it affects the whole system was when you deployed it to the staging environment and in order to deploy to the staging environment you didn't want to deploy broken versions so you had to go through CI/CD and part of the CI/CD is also called interest. so you do the change you write a test, you get peer-reviewed, what we call code review, um, and then it gets merged to the main branch, and then someone cuts off a release, or every PR is a release, but in our case it was, uh, we, we cut versions, and then the version goes to staging, so testing, staging, then production, and only in staging you could really see the effect of your new change. So you either went like blindly or add a lot of mocks and tests, but in many cases you would have to have some more iterations against the staging environment because there you faced a lot of situations where you didn't anticipate, then you had a lot of uh, slowness and then also the staging environment was shared. I'm going into it because I think um, both me and Yal and also the team was very traumatized by process uh, <laughs> first world problem, it's not real trauma, but it was really the most painful point we had. And from there we started thinking about how, how we see solution to these kind of problems. Let's dive into the MVP then. Tell me about that first product you built. How long did it take to build? And what sort of tools did you use to bring it to life? Okay, so I would say we had two MVPs. <laughs> One was the real attraction MVP, like the equivalent of a landing page for a developer product. And the second one was a real MVP that really solved the problem for developers. So, so the first MVP took one month, and real MVP took about, uh, I would say, six, seven months of team working on it, like uh, six people working on it. The first MVP was more like to show that we can gain traction and we can go on real this company and product from bottom up with the open source approach. And like, if you look at, let's say, uh, the standard startups, at least in Israel, where it's uh, mostly common to do B2B, we wanted to show that we can do it bottom up and, uh, and go with the open source. When you do top down, usually to get in, uh, the first uh, investment, you get uh, design partners and then you show some kind of letter of intent or just uh, get them interviewed with potential VCs and then uh, they show that they explain why they would love to use your, your product when it will be available. And then usually that's uh, enough to get the first round of investment. But when you do top bottom up and open source, we believe that you need to show traction and the ability to really bring uh, users into 
the product without without them being your friends and, and and showing that like you can really pull it off so the only way to do that is by showing detraction and the dinner VP was basically to give some idea of what we want to build but have one feature of a real product and show it to the world and see how they respond to it to the messaging to what we say so we spend I would say like around two weeks on mostly on coding and other two weeks just on messaging marketing documentation and just like getting make, making sure that people understand what we want to build and that's like a work in progress and we want them to stay tuned so basically we I, I would call it our landing page for the real product so that got off and got very good traction like compared to being a tool that isn't really useful to anyone <laughs> it got well received also in uh, different message bulletins ready to I can use etc and that also led to our first round of investment and based on that investment money we wanted to build a real MVP in building any MVP you have to make certain decisions and trade-offs and you're kind of talking at them at a high level but I want to hear a little more in depth about those decisions and trade-offs you had to make in you know feature cut tech debt things like that and how you cope with those decisions The idea was to have enough code and functionality to make people try to use or like consider using it and discuss it. So we didn't uh, want to work on all the use cases or even our real use case that we wanted to solve wouldn't uh, be solved with our tool. And the idea was to build something as real as possible, like like a skeleton of a bicycle and say to people, hey, this will, be, this will be a bicycle. Would you love to be it when the skeleton evolves into the bicycle? The idea was to build anticipation and not to be really, really something that solves anything. And also being very rough brings a lot of feedback, like good feedback. So if you build a, a very, let's say, whole solution, it won't be so much fun for people to try and uh, give feedback because they would feel that you already made your mind, you already know what you wanted to build and they don't, they aren't, aren't going to really change um, what you're going to build. But when you say, hey, this is just the beginning, this is barely working, we just want the first feedback to the, to understand what to build better, then they, they can say, oh, I, I can really have effect on this project I can really shift it towards my needs and what I want to have and then the more more engaged they provide tons of use cases and experiences that uh, we can build on top so basically the idea was to trigger that and and, and we did it successfully like we got a lot of uh, feedback from uh, different people and they said yeah so this is going to be like this and we said yeah exactly and then they just wrote us user stories that we wanted to have but of course it's better to get a, a, an external validation I would say someone from another country that doesn't really know us doesn't care about us but is really into the product and wants it to be the best it can be for them and that kind of feedback was really helpful to know how to prioritize the next MVP this episode is encrypted by cypher stash data breaches are becoming a fact of life know why? One of the reasons is because developers lack the right tooling to get the job done, i.e. encryption at rest tools are complex and inadequate. The solution? Encryption in use with CypherStash. CypherStash uses searchable encryption in use technology, providing continuous and universal protection for sensitive data. With CypherStash, you can turn your existing database into a vault, utilizing zero-trust key management, SQL native, and with no code. Though encryption is complicated, CypherStash is easy to use. The tool fully supports SQL via a drop-in driver replacement, supporting the query types you know and love today. And did we mention it's fast? 
For queries over 100 million records, you can expect additional overhead of less than one millisecond. It's a no-brainer. Get started by reviewing their docs or downloading sample projects in Rails or Node plus SQLize today. Visit cypherstash.com slash codestory and get started protecting your data. This episode is supported by Treble. This day and age, APIs are a fact of life. And as such, product and engineering teams need tooling that is lightweight, real-time, and data-rich to help them ship and maintain APIs faster. That's where Treble comes in. Treble is an all-in-one platform for the entire API lifecycle. The product offers world-class monitoring and observability, providing more than 40 data points for each request, enabling you to understand everything from performance to user behavior. Dashboards help connecting your entire team for lifecycle collaboration. Documentation is automatically generated, saving massive amounts of time for your development team with every new release. And setting up Treble, super easy and fast. In three simple steps, you can be up and running with their platform. Their pricing is designed to support API teams of all sizes. So get started with Treble today and automate your API ops. Did I mention they have a free forever plan? Find out more by visiting treble.com slash codestory. That's T-R-B-L-L-E dot com slash codestory. So from that point, you've got your MVP, and I hear you saying you, you built another one. And, and in doing so, you probably had to create some sort of of roadmap to build that next MVP or to get that MVP done and then progress it from there. I'm curious about that MVP, that process, and also how you go about deciding this is the next most important thing to build for Mirror D. Once we saw the initial interaction and we got users to provide feedback and ideas to what exactly they wanted to be, it made it a lot easier. Like we knew the first features we would have, we weren't sure how they would look like because at least from uh, the very basic solution, like the basic functionality it provides, it's just, it's very easy to understand what we need to add. So merely lets you run a local uh, code in the context of the remote environment and it doesn't do any mounts, it doesn't use VPN, it's just on the process level. And we do a lot of uh, low level hacking to do that. And not really hacking, but like hacking in terms of uh, doing stuff that usually people don't do. We don't want to build an operating system as day one, so we just need to choose which parts we need to implement. And then to understand what parts exactly we need to build, we try to make as lean as possible user source. For example, I want to run a Python Flask server that receives traffic on specific port and is able to connect to a remote port in the cluster. So then we know that we need to support this use case and then we test that specific use case to see exactly what we need to implement for that. And that was like the basic uh, milestones. And that's how we really spread and split the very big and ambitious solution into very small parts. And we each time we added more support, for example, for SC Python Flask, we just released that and maybe we didn't support Go with a specific framework or we didn't support another language and framework for some reason. At least we could see that it worked for that use case and also build on top of that validation and go ahead and reach more users, see more use cases and build for them. Okay, let's switch to team then. So how did you go about building your team? And what did you look for in those people to indicate that they were the winning horses to join you? Since we are an open source company with open source project, we decided that the company needs to be remote first. And also we said, okay, if we're remote first and we're open source, let's make it global. 
And the idea you with know, making it global is that you're able to reach many communities, many different countries around the world and make the project and the product more inclusive for all people. And also you get uh, a lot of uh, time zone coverage in terms of support, in terms of community. So anyone coming into our Discord channel can have someone talking to them from the team uh, without anyone uh, doing uh, overtime or uh, working uh, outside of the work hours. And once uh, we decided that's the way to go, we said, okay, what well, was the best place to gather engineers from around the world? And we, I mean, this is written like 99% in Rust. Like when, when it's not Rust, it's, uh, it's because we can't do it in, in Rust. We knew that the Rust community is quite amazing. I was part of the Reddit community and many different Discord channels. So I saw that there's like people looking for Rust jobs and they can't find any, like it's dominated by cryptocurrencies or security and uh, like usually it's not product oriented I would say and, and still like even when there are companies it's not uh, the most appealing ones or they're not global and so there was a lot of uh, engineers looking to shift and work on Rust. We basically answered anyone that messaged us even if uh, it was too many and it was like uh, if they didn't match like we had, we had like a policy where we said there's no one won't ignore anyone even the, if they don't pass even in the, on the the CV level. What we primarily looked for is open source experience because we want people who know how to work in an open source community in an online world and they're, they're able to communicate well in a written manner. They're self-learning, like that's one of the most important things we need at Metalbird. You walk across different time zones, you don't always have anyone helping you. So you need to be able to manage yourself, to walk your own hours, to make sure that you don't get stuck on that for unneeded reason and also to be able to communicate what's going on without going on a daily meeting. We, we don't have meetings. We have only circle meetings. Everything else is asynchronous, like a, a Discord or GitHub or a Notion. Primarily what we look for is the ability to um, evolve and work efficiently alone in, a, in an online team, like or asynchronous online team that you can rely on. This episode is supported by Terso. Terso is the open-source edge database from the creators of LibSQL, the popular fork of SQLite. If you put your edge computing close to your users, like with Netlify or Vassell edge functions or Cloudflare workers, you should put your data there too in order to maximize performance gains at the edge. Terso makes it easy. With a developer experience of SQLite and a distributed database, you can replicate much closer to your users than traditional database offerings in the cloud. Terso's lightweight, easy to use, and free to get started. The team at Terso is offering a generous starter plan specifically for Code Story listeners. Head over to terso.tech/slash code story and get started today. That's T-U-R-S-O.tech/slash code story. Terso, welcome to the Data Edge. This episode was automatically optimized by Cast. If you run cloud-native software on AWS, Google Cloud, or Azure, you know how out of hand the bill can get. This uncertainty hurts your business, but you can solve it with Cast AI. Cast AI automates cloud costs, performance, and security management for hundreds of companies of all sizes. The platform's customers begin saving immediately and cut an average of over 60%. So before you go and sign a multi-year contract with a cloud provider or lay people off, check out what Cast AI can do for you. To get you saving even faster, Cast AI is offering a free cloud cost audit with a personal consultation. Visit cast.ai slash codestory to get started.
Let's talk about scalability. Did you build this to scale efficiently from day one, or were you fighting this as you grew and gained traction? I, I suppose from MVP one, MVP two, there was probably some some changes there, and then as you progress the product, tell me about that progression. We have the luxury that it doesn't have any scale problems because you run it on your own environment, so. We don't have any constraints on that. We don't need to serve many users at the same time. We are not a classic SaaS in that manner. Um, we did we did uh, need to improve on them in terms of uh, being able to um, answer all the people and manage the community and in terms of the team to be able to manage it efficiently because it's not so common to have remote first, global, different cultures, different countries, startups. So we also needed to understand how to do it. And still, it's not a, you know, such a big scale, but I assume that would be the next problem, but when we did anything that uh, needed to scale, like some of the backend services we had for uh, telemetry, licensing, um, and such, was always like the most basic solution, and then see how people react react to that, and see first of course that they use it, and if they use it and like it, then we implement the more advanced use cases, the more advanced the scale support their needs. The, the idea is always to build as minimal as possible. Because when you go like bottom up and uh, you walk with, uh, like, let's say the online world and you can't really know what people would want. So you have to make a lot of guesses and you have to always validate yourself and you can't really take time to ship around uh, one month of solution when uh, it might be useless. So you have always to get more external validation. So you always need to build uh, very efficiently and just what's needed to make sure that you want to invest more in that bank. Well, as you step out on the balcony and look across all that you've built, what are you most proud of? The first thing is the team. Like, I really love our team. It's very diverse. Like, we got people from Germany, Brazil, Canada. People are really different. It's like a team of uh, superpowers. Like, I can see each one of the team having their own more focus area, more experience, more uh, more skills. Like very diverse in that time so we have some some uh, some people who are more efficient on uh, delivering code and more other people that are more efficient like not efficient but good at maintaining the code and keeping it in high quality and you have people more product oriented like what's what the customer gonna feel what's the user gonna feel we they really complement each other so i think in terms of that we the team here they are we i'm really proud of the team we have and uh, how well they work together and uh, the good uh, things we have to each other and the little fun we have together. I think, at least from my perspective, you can see that many of them have great work-life balance. We can walk when we want and take uh, breaks when we don't want uh, when we want to. And I think that makes it a lot more efficient because you don't have like the, the work time that you have to walk in. So if you're not efficient at work right now, you can just go to the beach, drink some beer, come back. And work when you're efficient. Don't work when you're not efficient. Manage your time. We trust you. And of course, when uh, things are urgent, we let them know. And then we expect them to be more available and respond faster and not take their time. But like the average day, the average work is more balanced and very respectful of their time. So I'm not sure if it's one or two, but like in terms of team and uh, work-life balance, I'm, I'm really proud of that. Okay, let's flip the script a little bit. Tell me about a mistake you made and how you and your team responded to it. So early on, we had an idea of the first product. We look at Mirudi as a project and you have a product. 
MeoD is basically a project you can use. It's an open source, but it's not a product we offer. No? We're not going to monetize by people using MeoD directly. We had an idea of what to monetize and commercialize, and that idea got uh, thrown into the beam. Like, but, but we worked upon it for about, I would say, three months, maybe less. And it was very intensive work. And we thought that would be the smart move of the first phase of uh, monetization. And then, luckily, the idea was when we look at a, a bottom-up company, we um, you start with the open source, and then we want to convert you into a paying user. You can look the possible uh, funnel from two ways. So open source, then paying. But what kind of paying customer are you? Are you a company or are you an individual? And we thought that it would be easier um, to convert open source users to individual customers. Uh, so we started building a solution for individuals. It wasn't the same use case as MeoD. It was like something that really, really relates to the same audience and would make sense to use with MeoD. And we thought it would be easier than to sell to companies at our stage. And when we released, and we did it in parallel to working on the MeoD MVP. And then when we released the MeoD MVP, we just got many companies reaching out and saying, hey, we want the paid version of it. And we were saying, well, we're working on versions for individuals, not for companies. And of course, we said, okay, if we see this kind of fraction, it's way better to just convert open source users and teams to customer teams and companies in terms of validation, in terms of revenue and ability to make it scalable. Because making it scalable B2C, and as you said, that's, a, that's maybe it's a good answer to your scale question. <laughs> making a B2C company is very hard in terms of scale. Like even if you have only 1,000 users, you have to support their use cases and you have to have a very efficient way of helping them. Because if you have 1,000 paying users and each one is an individual and they have issues, um, that's, a, that's a lot of problems to handle and you need a, a very efficient way to tackle that. But if you have tens of paying customers and each one is a company, it's way easier to build that and do it more uh, efficiently when you're small. So we decided to, let's say, pivot into converting companies first. Right now, I see it's a mistake that we focus on the individuals because we really try to think what's better to focus in the individual, on the individual or companies. And we made the wrong decision, and then we changed it very fast once we realized that. So what does the future look like for the product and for your team? So the future looks like um, rolling more globally, having more regions, let's say, unlocked, <laughs> having more people in different regions. And in terms of product, we want to make lots of more people use MeoD, the open source project, and lots of more companies using MeoD for teams, which is the commercial offering for companies. We want to make the MeoD for Teams a self-serve experience so people can go in by a license without going through us uh, as it's done right now. Later on, start building other open source projects and also commercialize those. So we see ourselves as a company that builds products and software for backend engineers. The MeoD is just the start. We want to be able to be the company that resonates with backend engineers and each time they have a need or they don't like their daily experience when they develop software, they can reach out to us and use our one of the existing tools or let us know and we'll try to f figure out how to enhance the productivity. But right now, of course, our focus is merely. Okay, last question. So you're getting on a plane and you're sitting next to a young entrepreneur who's built the next big thing. They're jazzed about it. They can't wait to show it off to the world. They can't wait to show it off to you right there on the plane. What advice do you give that person, having gone down this road a bit? 
don't listen to anyone. I'm joking. <laughs> but like, <laughs> listen to everyone, take advice from everyone, but don't do what they say. That's like, I think, the, the, what I see others, others doing, and I think we don't do it. Like, uh, and I think that's been the benefit for us. And when every time we try to follow an advice exactly as people tried taught us, it was the wrong decision because no one has the best context as you, as you, I mean, the entrepreneur. And like each one has their own uh, state and, and understanding of what's going on. And no matter how good you explain your state and your situation, they probably lack two bits that missing to understand the better decision you can make. Um, so you have to listen to everyone. You need to get advice. You need to get as much more perspective as you can. So of course, network, talk, ask, don't be shy. But when it comes to taking a decision, never do something because someone told you to do so. That's fantastic advice. Well, Aviram, thank you for being on the show today. And thank you for telling the creation story, not only of Metal Bear, but of Mirror D. Thank you for the time and thanks for the show. Really like it. And this concludes another chapter of Code Story. Code Story is hosted and produced by Noah Laphart. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcasting app of your choice. And when you get a chance, leave us a review. Both things help us out tremendously. And thanks again for listening. Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Check out our great selection of garage and utility lighting options in stock, ready to take home today. We carry everything to help you illuminate whatever project you're working on. Shop garage and utility lighting products in store at your nearest Menards. You can also view all of our entire selection of lighting options today on Menards.com. Save big money.